there was a um, 15 meter tower, maybe 35 feet of a small city that was left. That was all. You, I stood mm. on a 360 degree looking around. There was nothing. And yet there was a small city here a thousand years before that completely is gone. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now, let's start crossing it off together. When you have exotic locations and locales on your bucket list, how much time do you spend thinking about the cultural experience that you'll have when you cross that item off? Is it just that you're going to do the tourist stuff? Or are you thinking about, how do I interact with locals? How do I understand the history of this place? Today's bucket list storyteller did just that. And we're going to learn about his experience really engaging with culture and not just taking from culture. Let's start crossing it off. My guest today is Will Gao, and he describes himself as a finding adventure over 60 and a curious traveler. Will, thanks so much for being on the show. No, I appreciate the opportunity to come on your uh, podcast today. Awesome. So tell our audience, what did you cross off your list? Oh, the big one was uh, Mongolia, which uh, when you mention the word Mongolia, it conjures up all sorts of, okay, where is it now? And Genghis Khan, of course, the Mong- the Mongols. But for most people going there, it's it's not been a destination. So what? Why is it for you? What was it that? It, well, like said? the quick story was that two and a half years ago, one of these nonprofit groups that work with uh, executives wanted to, uh, you know, they needed some uh, people to work on a project in Mongolia, and I got a phone call, and I about thirty seconds after the call, I said, "Yeah, send me. Let's do it. I, you know, let's." Uh, Let's just do it. And that was my response immediately. And um, now I'm a Canadian and I knew about Mongolia when I was younger. Of course, uh, we all know, but Mongolia, of course, only became a democracy 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. One of the old Soviet uh, satellites. So here we got this huge uh, landmass of 15th largest in the world with only 3.2 million people between China and Russia. And, um, you know, they're, they're a democracy. They're very progressive. So next thing you know, I'm gone for two and a half months traveling, wow. you know, provinces of Mongolia, working with an interpreters on yeah, great people. Just um, that was phenomenal. So were there any things that you had to do special to prepare for this trip um, that you may not have done in previous adventures or travels? Yeah, it was, I'm in, well, okay, I'm in Calgary. Canada, of course, right now, our temperature is pretty well same as Mongolia in a lot of ways. Mm. I mean, right today, I'm dealing with minus 28 all of a sudden this week, which is what, minus 20 Fahrenheit. But I came out of Mongolia um, in the wintertime, it can go down to minus 35, 40. But in the spring and the summer and the fall, it's beautiful weather. We're talking, you know, uh, we're talking 38, 40, 45, 65 degrees Fahrenheit or beautiful green area but winter of course is challenging so i had to make sure i packed you know three different clothes the other thing with mongolia is that it's uh it's very open it's like a you could travel for a thousand kilometers and it'll be flat so again it's the clothes packing it's the and also going through a number you're going through at least four different five different securities on all your destinations to get there it's um now easy to get to but 
even pre-COVID, it was uh, security was tight going through different areas. I got to go through, you know, from Calgary and go to Seattle or and go to Vancouver. And then, of course, you got to fly Korean and then Korean to, to um, Mongolian Air. So you're dealing with about four flights, could be four flights in that same 35-hour time frame to get there. Wow. Layovers and everything else, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, try not to do too many layovers. You try to keep <laughs> it going so you lose, don't lose momentum. Yeah. Obviously, the infrastructure is uh, not like you probably experienced in Calgary. So did you have to carry a pack or did you just rough it with a, with wheels on a suitcase? I, I mean, I got wheels on a suitcase and I also carried a, you know, a messenger bags and area, you know, because I had support help on the ground too. That was great. But on, on weekends when I wasn't just busy with the work I'm doing, I walked and walked and uh, hired a, car, a driver everywhere. Mm. And now the difference with Mongolia, they got one city, Ulaanbaatar, which is 1.2 million people. And the rest of the country, there's all the small provincial towns are like 15,000 population. So you've got everything concentrated into one city and the rest of the country is agriculture. Now they got 70 million animals. We're talking camels, sheep, horses. The experience I had was when you're driving across country and it's like you're going, I've traveled, of course, like you probably have down through Nevada. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine travel Nevada two or three times over? And that's what you see. Oh. Like you're just, and, and on top of that is, it doesn't matter where you stop, there's animals like horses. I could close my eyes for half an hour, still get up and look out the window and there'd be horses, camels. That's the type of landscape it is. It's going to be like a mini Jurassic Park you're going through. <laughs> So it's a, and you can see Genghis Khan thousand years before riding across. You can picture that. I mean, now you know why they had the, the, the horses and uh, the vast army that traveled like that. Yeah, it's a phenomenal country. And what were you hoping to experience, especially culture-wise? Oh, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm speaking. I wanted to. I knew the Mongolians were different than the rest of the Asian population, but they are definitely different. Uh, they're very, um, they're very progressive. I like working the professionals. Uh, they're very innovative. In fact, this past year, they're 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 trying to change their whole economy totally digital. Mm. Um, in fact, I'm the dinosaur carrying wads of cash around in Mongolian money, and they're transferring money in about I've timed it twenty seconds. They transfer money to each other with their androids, and I'm I'm trying to still pay by cash. It's, uh, <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. So what were some of the side trips or you, you said you were working oh, okay, during the working during the, the week? So what camels, were some of the so things? during the week I would take a side trip. I wanted to see the two hump camels of Actrium. Uh they're very rare camel, they're two humps, they're based mostly out of Mongolia. Um it was great to see the kind of these rare camels that are out there. Uh the other thing was to see the massive amount of horses, the mm. horses you used to see on the uh on the old movies, the Genghis Khan movies. The I went to a couple sites. One was um, near the Chinese-Russian border out by a, a province called Dornod, eastern Mongolia. There was a 15-meter um, tower, maybe 35 feet, of a small city that was left. That was all. You, I stood hmm. on a 360-degree looking around. There was nothing, and yet there was a small city here a thousand years before that completely is gone. So the sense of history is huge. And then I went to um, another ancient site that was out about 140 kilometers, which would be about 100 miles outside the small provincial town of Bernert, Sabata province. And 
the cultural person in the area, they call the small towns Sooms. Uh, she took me to show me where they had dug up a lot of the old ancient Mongolian, I'm going to call them royalty. And they had the uh, Japanese and an American company had, an archaeological company three years before COVID, had dug up this ancient site where they had a sarcophagus and, and it was where they were burying and they did a lot hmm. of ritual. And they recovered it again because they were going to have to re-excavate it. But that was 8th century. I mean, and the, the, the surprising thing about that was, again, I'm in the middle of nowhere, the original areas of the Mongols. So we stopped in a local uh, herder, nomadic herders, and they call the, um, they're not yurts, they're called gares. We stopped there, the very hospital. I sat down and was talking with the family. He's like eighth generation of the area. You know, you look at his face, you think you can see a thousand years back. Mm. The entire population is is not changed in a thousand years. The progressiveness, I walk in and so he's got the old carts, camels for pulling, but he's also got the motorcycle. He's got solar panels and he's got his uh, Android phones charging on batteries and they're watching Turkish soap operas. <laughs> so yeah, you want a you want a bit of a yeah, yeah little bit of a a sense that you can be in the middle of no, literally the middle of nowhere. Maybe you look on the map, you know, close to Siberia. Yeah, he's with his family and uh, you know they're they're carrying on with their traditions, but you know in the middle of watching Turkey soap operas where they're serving us you know the original vodka and uh, milk. So yeah, it was is quite the uh, experience. And one more thing is I passed uh, my last trip which I put on my YouTube, I'm going past this kind of ancient fort. So I had the driver turn in and it was a Sunday. It was actually family day. And so Mongolians have a very traditional, when they dress very traditional, almost Star Wars look, you know, from the, <laughs> they on a, on a kind of a, a small pond lake, they were having tug of war. It was minus 25. They had these families out and I was freezing and they're out there doing tug of war. Like, <laughs> Amazing. How was it for you being older white person traveling in those conditions? Because I imagine that they're, you know, you could probably spot the white people. No, I'm the only one. Way. Trust me. I'm right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how was that experience? Was that different for you or how did you adjust to that? Or I think I'm, this is what I feel. People, they're same all over the world. I don't, mm. I don't see the difference. Once you interact with them personally, Within 30 seconds, you know what's going to happen. And and I found that I didn't need anybody around to help me when it came to, you know, communicating uh, pretty well. You could communicate anything with, with good body language and a few words and speaking a few words of Mongolian uh, got you a long way. And and on the surface, they, pe they appear very stern, but they like to have a lot of fun, you know. <laughs> so they, um, and again, they are, I don't want to categorize different cultures but they are different as, as an asian culture that i found just uh again a very progressive um society the average age is 28 so once you put that in yeah it struck me too 28 years age is the average age of mongolia out of 3.2 million people and 90 percent of the population is um well educated in fact most of the women i worked are all master's degrees English is becoming more of a second language in the last two, three years. Russian was always their kind of their they're they're close to Russia's. Um they're they're torn right now because of the war, but Russia's still their 
they're kind of like older brother in a way that they've had some issues with. But uh, China, I don't know. It's hard to talk about. Uh, their work with China is complex. 85%, 80% of their trades with China. Um, again, they got connections with both China and Russia. So they're torn between trying to keep a neutral stance. They're doing a good job of it. Here at the Crossing Off Podcast, we are passionate about inspiring you in your bucket list lifestyle and empowering you to live out your list. We offer many resources to assist you in your bucket list journey, such as web resources in the show notes, bucket list mentoring services, my book, Live Out Your Lists, a private Facebook group for you to share your bucket list success stories with others, and more. All of these can be found at crossingitoffpodcast.com. Find the resource that fits your need so that you can live out your list. Now back to the show. When you found out you were going and you made arrangements, how did your family and friends respond to when you said, I'm going to go to Mongolia oh, yeah, for well, a couple that, months? The first thing is my family said, what? Mongolia? And I, and because even though Canadians pride themselves on knowing a lot about the world, when it came to Mongolia, it, it's probably like everybody else's. Okay, what's going on there? I think it was the thought, fact that you're going literally to the middle of nowhere between two large uh, superpowers like China and Russia. Mm. And it's still an unknown area because they haven't had a chance to, to break out in the last 30 years as a democracy. They're starting now. It, it's more of an unknown. And they're all, and you know what? I don't know how you get when you travel, but family and friends are always saying, oh, be careful when you travel. Or, <laughs> and, you know, and I'm l- listening to them go, well, I think the whole intent is not to be. The whole intent is not to be in your comfort zone. The whole intent is not to be safe in some bubble somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I got to share when I've got a lot of my a lot of my male friends that are are, um, are talking about traveling. Their idea is going to Mexico, of course, out of Canada. <laughs> so you know the beach, drinking a margarita. And I said, I can't do that anymore. I can't. I get too comfortable. You, it's almost like you you want to build your resilience up. And Mongolia, for for me, watching them. Uh, gave me more of a sense of uh, resilience, and yeah, I come back feeling much more um, ready, to, ready to tackle things, ready to do it. When you were done, I mean, you spent a long time there. That at that first trip that you went, how did you feel when you were leaving? What were kind of some of the sense of? Feelings? Oh, I'd be bored when I get back to Calgary. I mean, mm. I got things to do. I want to see family, but when you're, I'm going to back up here again. When you're when you're traveling. And, you know, we all have exes going around. But I found that as a male, you become more attractive to a lot of people because you're traveling more. You're off the couch. You're not seeing them watching football, whatever. And uh, But when I get back to here, I, I'm ready to go out again. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I catch up with a lot of my family and my sons and, and daughter-in-law. So, But a lot of my personal friends, and they, they can hear what I because I'm told the same thing. There's so much going on in everybody else's lives that you can't travel with them as much anymore. I mean, I just wanted to pick up and go down to Vegas when I get back to Calgary to get some regeneration. But trying to find your old friends that can jump in and uh, take a road trip with you. Second thing is they have a hard time relating to the experience of traveling a bit on your own to more or less travel places. They're so used to going to the more comfortable um, beaches or kind of contrived vacations. I've got a friend that's that's more fortunate that that's extremely well off. When he travels, he goes to five star hotels, and I kept on saying to him, "I can't tell the picture from one difference to the next, whether you're in one country or the other. The hotels look the same." Uh, 
yeah met some folks along the Camino de Santiago when I was walking and they were staying in these you know 300 400 night uh hotels and it was just like okay well yeah I got my eight dollars over here I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah that reminds me I was when I was uh, my last my last trip I there's a small town called Zumon it's a provincial town in the province of Tuve one of the larger provinces but they have a they have a hostel youth hostel I was the only one there the young young uh, young boy that was there as kind of a caretaker because it was kind of off season it's where I was put up and I'm kind of figuring like I'm camping in my RV in this hostel and they got a small coffee shop but I'm down there making my own coffee, getting the stuff going. And um, they had left to go to the big city for three days, threw me the keys and said, you know, that's it. You're on, kind of on your own. <laughs> and, uh, but I walked down to my, what they call the governor's offices with the government people. And that morning it was minus 44. And <laughs> which is that temperature. I thought I'm used to as a Canadian, but I'll tell you, that was cold. That was an experience. And yet a couple months later, I've experienced Beautiful spring weather with the horses riding on the steps of uh, Mongolia and, you know, yelling and screaming on the steps like you're riding this horse, right? It's great. If you go back to that first trip yep. and you come back home, what do you think the biggest change was in Will? What was something that opened your eyes or, you know? Uh, made- it just it reminded me that, you know, that time is going by. You could feel the weight of it. There comes a certain point you start feeling the weight of time on you that you've got to you can't accumulate assets anymore. It's ridiculous to keep on working or accumulate. You got to create uh, kind of accumulate experiences. If that's a word to do it. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's a mindset change that it's hard to do with other people that you're working, you know, that you're talking to is that, yeah, I want to work part-time and travel. I want to do this stuff, but it's the experiences because every day it goes by, you know, you, you, your health could take them, could happen, could stop. So there's a constant pressure to continue with trying to uh, gain these experiences. And it's a lot of effort. But the other hand is sitting back and trying to be too comfortable is not an option either. Yeah. If someone came to you, if you were sitting in a coffee shop and you started a conversation with a stranger and you told them about your trips to Mongolia and they said, yeah, I want to put that on my bucket list. Besides the Nike slogan, just do it. What is something that you would encourage them to either try to experience or be mindful of as they're traveling through the country? Yeah, well, there's there's things I still want to do, but I'll give them a couple things. Um, I want to get closer to the Gobi Desert because it is a real desert. I was on the fringe, which is more the steppe area, and I'm traveling by Jeep overland seven, yeah. eight hours on flat surfaces because they're, they're nomadic herder roads, but they're flat because it's, it's, it's hard to imagine hard packed, kind of sandy, cold weather at minus 25, but it's sunny. One thing about Mongolia, it's sunny almost 300 days a year. It's a beautiful blue sky and sunny, even mm. though it's cold. The trips that I want to take when I go back there was um, I want to go to Karakoram, which is the old capital. It's about six hours from the from the Ulaanbaatar, but it's the old Silk Road capital mm. that's you know that Genghis Khan used to be. Um, I want to get near the reindeer herders, which are further towards Siberia. That would be a, a two day trip to see the reindeer herders. And the one I like to do, and it's um, it's still about 1,500 miles, maybe 2,000 kilometers from Ulaanbaatar to go to, to the areas of Kazakhs where the eagle hunters are. Now, <laughs> I've met a few Americans traveling on these trips where they that's what they want to do. They get ready to go to, to visit the eagle hunters. But that's 
give them the roads to get across Mongolia, uh, you need to plan a week or so mm-hmm. in order to get driver to go across to get to the mountain areas where they call uh, the Evangers are. That's what I want to do. See the mountainous areas, which you sometimes associate with Mongolia, but it's closer to Russia borders. So you got to plan these trips is what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, plan them out for sure. What, Will, what is something else um, besides traveling to Mongolia, Mongolia that's on your bucket list? I want to, I'm trying to look at the off places I've traveled, like North Macedonia, Armenia, Try to stay away from the well-traveled places to more of the old historical places, again, less traveled. That's Those are on my list. Now, it doesn't mean I don't want to take short trips and go to the U.S. and, you know, do, do those uh, trips on those type of things. But uh, there's more what I call historical sites around the world that I want to travel to that, are, that uh, would be very interesting to go to. Uh, but those smaller countries, again, like um, North Macedonia, Armenia. Now, I did go. I did go to the Philippines on another one a few months ago, but I was in the mountain regions, like a place called Dolores, where they still had the active volcanoes. Mm. Uh, I'm going back in about two months to another place called Alfonso. So I'm not in these tourist areas. I'm in the mountain areas, uh, mountain regional areas. Uh, that's what it would appeal to me more of a kind of adventure and be with more of the culture of the people who are in there. And how do you find those places, right? I mean, <laughs> I, like the Philippine, great people, the mother of the deaf. I'm always, I don't like the poverty of a lot of places I'm going. Um, the poverty bothers me. Now, mm-hmm. Mongolia is different. Um, you could, there is, there is the poverty, but it's not overt in your face. They have a culture of looking after their family, so you would never, I mean, absolutely never, unlike Canada, maybe the U.S. I never, ever once in any town, the city, ever seen anybody on the street, ever. Mm. Um, now, some areas, alcoholism is a huge issue with some of the areas, but they're doing their best they can. The, But again, when you go back to cultural looking after each other, just never saw it. Now, in Philippines, uh, very entrepreneurial, very area, but there were some mountain areas, smaller communities that were extremely poor, and that, that bothered me a lot. A lot of the good friends I made there, the people I work with, inflation's at 15%. Now, mm-hmm. their average wage is probably like a, a dollar fifty American uh, hourly. A professional wage there would be 400 US a month. So everything's in, everything's in kind of a context, but inflation's hitting them very badly, and uh, you can see the effect on them. I would notice things like um, if they buy toilet paper, they buy one roll at a time. They're very money conscious, and yet... Yet education, they'll go anywhere in the world to take their sons and daughters to get a good education, U.S., Canada, Australia, to get their education. They'll sacrifice what they can to um, get their uh, children highly educated. Will, I appreciate you being here and sharing your story uh, and that you have an adventurous spirit. I think that's awesome. Where can folks uh, find you on the Internet to like learn more about your travels? I started a YouTube channel called Will Solo Travels. Yeah, Will Solo Travels. Awesome. We'll put that uh, link in the show notes so that folks can find you very easily. Uh, Will, thank you for being here, and I wish you the best of luck of finding more places that are less traveled uh, to, to go to and experience. Roger, thanks for the opportunity, Dave. You take care.